Good morning. <clears throat> if you would, turn to the passage Mark just read in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to be there in a little bit. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our, on our time. Father, it is uh, so interesting how, <laughs> how self-sufficient we think we are at times and how utterly dependent we are. Thank you for my brother's call to worship this morning, God, and I thank you so much for that grip. And I pray, Father, that um, you would be rightly honored and glorified uh, in this time of the heralding of your word. That, Father, with our minds, with our thinking, it would become more aligned with truth. Father, it would impact not only our thinking, but it would impact our, our living. God, that we would be a people who are hungry to walk in obedience to you, regardless of the outcome with this world. That, dear Father, we would be desirous to see much made of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray for your blessing. Father, um, I pray that you would use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm starting to keep a list. The list is a list of stupid things said by Dan Mason. I'm not, and hold on a sec. Hold on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not looking for co-authors. Um, don't need you, don't want you. Uh, I, can, I can handle this. It's amazing how many things fall out of this guy's mouth that I wish so bad I could catch, but it just falls out there and there it is. There is one that's been on my mind for about a month, and um, you know, perhaps you've heard me say it, I've heard other Christians say it, and the more I've pondered this, the more it has actually become an entire sermon series. Um, I'm going to be on the Lord's Prayer for the rest of summer. Uh, I'll pick up Genesis 19 and uh, chatted with the elders, make sure everybody was cool with this. And um, we're all in agreement that this is going to be a little season on this topic of prayer. So here's the statement. And if you've heard me say it, I apologize. Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Even by the tone, you should be able to tell that that is a silly statement theologically. All we can do is pray. Since it's the last resort, since we did everything else, I guess all we can do now is go to the sovereign king of the universe who loves us more than we understand and petition him. The foolishness of the statement and how quick it falls out of the mouth. I am profoundly convicted that this is something I say. So much so that God in His grace has 
the Puritans said it was, a, it was a good day when the Lord lets you see yourself. And God has let me see myself how my theology and my prayer are out of sync with each other. Maybe yours is too. I don't know. I'm just bleeding a little bit in front of you to let the Spirit of God do in you what He does in you. But all we can do now is pray is a ridiculous statement. Because the context, the concept is, I have sought to do everything I can do by myself apart from Him until it crashes. Once it crashes, then, okay, we'll see what God can do now. When was the last time, don't answer it, just ponder it with me, when was the last time your very first instant resource was prayer? When something really went bad and your very first thing was, oh God, you are in charge and I need to come to you. Whether it's losing your keys or hearing some bad news from a physician, the last time, your first resort was to go to him. All we can do now is pray. God Almighty is the strength of his people. You are not the strength of this church. I am not the strength of this church. This church is not strong. This church is not vibrant. This church is not growing spiritually because of us. He is the strength of his people. And it's interesting to me that the one who is all-knowing omnipresent, and in charge of everything. This this marvelous king is the last resort? So it's amazing to me just how fast a human being can become familiar with that which is holy. It's amazing to me how fast a a human being can become familiar with that which is um, powerful, strong. You know, it's interesting... When was the last time you started your car and you said, Lord, it started? Now, perhaps for some of you, (laughs) typically what happens is the car starts and we drive away, right? Until the day it doesn't start, then we say, oh, Lord, not today. I've got so much that I've got to do. It's like, well, it looks like you were in need this whole time. And we forgot to thank him for how kind he is. We get so familiar with these things, and that, that is um, such a, a lethal thing to us. So, beloved, this is, this is very personal to me because this is something that's been happening in my Christian life, not, not necessarily as anything that I've heard or seen at PCBC. I've been away, you know that. This is something that God is doing surgery in my life as a Christian man. My prayer and my theology need to be linked in a much better way than it has ever been. Because if I took a theological examination this morning, I think I would answer those questions. I would answer them saying this, yes, I believe in the Lord's sovereignty. Yes, I believe in his power. Yes, I believe in his omniscience. Yes, I believe in his love for me. I believe that he's working all things together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's working all things together after the counsel of his own will. I believe that. Really? Well, what's your prayer life look like? And there's this disconnect that is, that is so heavily convicting my heart 
that I thought, I need to go back and I need to ask the Lord for some clarity from his word to cultivate this prayer. Because I'm convinced we make God shine bright. And I'm not saying that he doesn't shine bright. We recognize the brilliance of how bright he shines in our praying. Now, the tough part is when a guy stands up and says, I'm going to preach a seven-week series, whatever, on the doctrine of predestination, everybody gets super excited. Controversy, right? Or if I said, I'm going to talk about um, same-sex marriage, or I said, I'm going to talk about uh, Israel and the church and how they connect or disconnect with one another. Everybody's excited. They want to know what that means. What's going on? Where are you coming from? But when somebody stands and goes, I want to talk about prayer. At times, it has this dull dustiness to it, and it's, it, it bothers me so deeply that that would be the category because of what it is and because of the, what has taken place in order for us to pray. So the prayer of my heart, prayer of our elders' hearts, our heart is that God in this season would develop a profound spirit of prayer at PCBC because this strength's not us. And God, in his infinite grace, still blesses us in our prayerlessness. And I'm not saying the church is prayerless. I know better than that. You know better than that. But I have never once asked somebody, how's your prayer life? And their response be, the best it could be. Never heard it once. So I want to challenge you and... I thought it was fitting that the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so, really what I'm doing in this series is I'm coming and saying, on behalf of Pacific Coast Bible Church, on behalf of Dan Mason, Lord, teach us to pray. And so I'm going to walk through this prayer for a number of weeks. Um, How many weeks? I don't know. And, just to add, I don't care. Because my desire is that God in this season would profoundly touch our hearts and cultivate a praying people, a more deeply praying people. So if you would, I want to read the text one more time. I know Mark read it, but um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. The Lord Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also as we have forgiven out our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just a few contextual things to kind of uh, some furniture to put in the room to help you out as we walk through this uh, as we walk through this series. Number one is that there's basically here six petitions. There's an address and then six petitions. Three in reference to the glory and fame of God and three in reference to the need of man. This is not... (laughs) Let me ask you this. If I read this and I asked you what this is, what would you say? If I read this portion of Scripture and I said, what's this called again? Okay. All right. My hope in about six weeks, I'm going to ask you that question. Nobody will say the Lord's Prayer in response. I struggle with this, and I know that I've got church history coming at me, and I know that I've got most of evangelical, evangelicalism coming at me when I say this, but I don't like to call this the Lord's Prayer. Because this isn't the prayer of Jesus. 
This is the prayer Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is the disciples' prayer. You want the Lord's Prayer? John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer, where you hear the bleeding of the heart of the Son of God to the Father. Here, I see this more as this is the instruction of the Savior to the disciples of how to pray. I really struggle with it being the Lord's Prayer because the Lord doesn't confess sin. And that's in the text. So, is that a big deal? Well, between my ears, but no, it's not. But this is not the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. It's not necessarily given for a re- to be a repeated prayer either. Um, I know that it has become that. I went to a family memorial service two weeks ago, and uh, kind of close to the end of the service was a saying of the Lord's Prayer together. Now, I don't see anything wrong with repeating it. Uh, it's Scripture. Of course it's a... It's a good thing. Um, And the contents of the prayer is a good thing. But I'm not convinced that this was given to be a repetitive prayer for the disciples to pray over and over and over and over again. Well, why would I not think that? Well, can you show me in the book of Acts where where the apostles are consistently repeating the Lord's Prayer? Can you show me where Jesus is consistently repeating the Lord's Prayer with the disciples? I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. Is it wrong? No, of course not. But I think it would be a very difficult case to make to tell people this is a repetitive prayer that has to be said in this congregation each Sunday. I don't believe that. Rather, what I do believe is that I believe what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a model. And it's a model for the sake of of pushing it out even further. There's categories in this prayer that we should take and add to and grow with and understand in a better way. Uh, There's nothing magical, per se, about this, where if we say the Lord's Prayer, say it 50 times, 60 times, 100 times, and then we'll get God's attention because we mindlessly repeated this. No, that's that's just, that's hocus-pocus type stuff. Rather, what the Lord is doing is what any good disciple-maker would do is he gives them something small to understand, grasp, and then grow in as they grow in their faith. So, the Lord says... You want to learn how to pray? They say, teach us to pray. All right, I'll teach you how to pray. Here are some building blocks, some pillars to build your prayer life on. Uh, That's why he says, pray like this. Don't just pray this. And they didn't come and say, teach us a prayer. They said, teach us to pray. Now, in Luke 11, 1, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, not to teach them a prayer. Never recorded where Jesus and his disciples repeat this prayer, per se. There's three categories in the prayer, adoration, petition, and confession. Adoration, petition, and confession. As we think about our time when we come before the Lord in prayer, those are just three categories to have, Lord willing, floating in the back of your mind that I want to come to the Lord in adoration, petition, or supplication, and simply coming to him in confession of sin as well. Now, these three, are it's not limited only to these three. I'm just saying that's kind of the structure I'm seeing what the Lord does here. It's fascinating, beloved, to sit down with a believer and ask them about their prayer life, A, but then ask them just theologically what they believe about prayer. What is prayer? When should you pray? Um... How long is long enough? You know, what should you be asking for? What do you think is worthy of bringing before the throne of God? All these kinds of questions. And just hear where believers are. It's a litmus test of what's happening in their life as a believer. I'm becoming more and more convinced as a Christian 
And as a minister of the gospel, one of the greatest tells of where somebody is spiritually is in their prayer life. And I mean that for myself, too. It's not what happens in this pulpit, this public ministry. The public ministry can be faked so easily. It's that private, in-the-closet ministry, that, that, that fact of communing before the Savior or with the Savior to the Father on behalf of yourself, other people, where nobody can see it. There's no accolades. Nobody, after I come out of my closet, pats me on the back and goes, that was a great prayer, Pastor. The secret to prayer is prayer in secret, as my dear Elder Dennis says. And I believe that. Guys, so much of our, the depth of our Walk as believers is done when nobody's watching. The genuineness and the quality of your relationship with Christ happens when nobody else is around so much of the time. We have, be, we have bought into the lie that public ministry is where the depths are. That's not true. Now, I'm not against it. Obviously, I stand in the pulpit before you opening the word. But, beloved, where, you, where the rubber meets the road is you and the Lord when nobody else can see it. When you go to your closet in secret before your father. So, before I touch on the address, I'm just doing the address this morning of the prayer. I want to ask three questions, uh, and I'll attempt to answer them. Number one is, what's prayer? Now, it's interesting, when you bring that up and you ask people, sometimes it gets overly complicated, sometimes they chase this, they chase that, is it corporate, is it private, so on and so forth. I'm, I'm going at a very base level just for the purpose of you can fill in the gaps as you do with the rest of the Word of God. I'm simply saying prayer is conversation or communion with the living God. Where we commune with God, where we talk to God, where we pray to God, and you know, when we ask the question, so what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God, and I'm being very general on purpose because I, I, if somebody were to ask, so is it a prayer if we go to him in confession? Yes. Prayer if we go to him in adoration? Yes. Prayer if we go to him and simply have conversation, just talking with the Lord. Is that prayer? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. But simply put, prayer is when we are conversing, talking with the living God. Question two, why has God given us prayer? And I have a list here. If you have more and you're saying that I missed your point, please let Mitch Tingley know. So why has God given us prayer? Number one, and I'm convinced of this without a shadow of a doubt, the reason, the number one reason for prayer is the glory of God. Isn't that interesting? Because when we think of prayer, we think of Dan coming to God. And Dan opening his heart to God, and God helping Dan, right? Well, that's a part of it, but I think numero uno, the very first thing is God is honored in prayer. We glorify God in prayer. He is rightly honored in our praying. Our dependency upon Him is glorifying to His name. This is not the the goofy theology where now that Jesus saved you, what are you going to do for him to pay him back what he's accomplished in your life? That is, trying to remember the Greek word, Adam, um, balderdash. That's not true at all. (laughs) 
That is a lie, beloved, where we come to Christ, and then once we've come to Christ, we start chipping away and earning it little by little. No. You are dependent upon him. I am dependent upon him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, I'm convinced that as we come to him in prayer, one of the greatest ways we honor God is by prayer. I'll give you for instance. Say, I go to the doctor, and I talk with the nurse for a little bit, and the nurse says, okay, Mr. Mason, what's been going on with you? And I say, well, I think I injured my knee. I said elbow in the first service, so I'm mixing it up. I think I injured my knee. Okay, well, doctor, be in with you in just a little bit. By the way, your blood pressure is super high on how much coffee do you have this morning? I always get asked that question at the doctor. So then the doctor comes in, and the doctor says, well, Mr. Mason, what seems to be going on? I say, man, doc, my knee is killing me. But I'll tell you what, why don't you sit down, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my knee to repair it, and I'll inform you medically of what is going on and how I can best take care of it. Have I honored the doctor? No, I wasted his time, wasted my time, and a lot of money as he came and did that. Do we honor the Lord when we come to him as God in our dependency and plead with him for grace? See, guys, you've got to ask the question every now and again, what's God's demeanor to my prayers? Has God ever once gone, oh, Dan, seriously again? No, the scripture says, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Our Father, the living God, loves your prayer. He loves to hear you pray. And it honors his name. Number two, we cultivate fellowship with him. You know, it's interesting. I I have some very close, close friends in this room. They are close friends because we've actually spoken to one another. And over time, with their tones, with the, with the living of life, in the, in the context of that friendship, there is a bond with that individual, that they become closer than a brother, closer than a sister. Well, our time spent with the Lord in prayer cultivates this fellowship, cultivates this relationship with Him. Number, two, or number three, it's a vital ingredient to our becoming more like Jesus Christ. I believe that the more we are in prayer, the more we are consistent in prayer with the Father, the more we are growing into Christ-likeness. Isn't it interesting how much ink is spent in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tells us Jesus stole himself away to go and pray? With all of the loud noises of his ministry. You know, we think we're busy, but here's Jesus who has healed all these people, stayed up all night healing these people, and he's been preaching, he's been teaching. There's these band of religious leaders who are out to get him. They're always waiting to snag him and get him in trouble as during his preaching. All of that stuff. And in the midst of that, Jesus steals himself away from the loud noises of ministry and goes and, and enjoys fellowship with the Father. It's a vital ingredient for us to become more like the Lord Jesus. Number four, the Lord accomplishes his great purposes through our prayers. The Lord accomplishes his work through the prayers of his people. I think that's pretty self-explanatory throughout Scripture as we see the prayer life of others, and we say, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm petitioning the Lord, and we see what we call answered prayer. As the Lord answers our prayer, at times, according to how we prayed it. Other times, he answers our prayer differently than how we prayed it, and we thank him a few years down the road. 
hopefully it didn't take a few years, but we thank him for answering the prayer way different than how we thought he should answer the prayer. If God answered every prayer I prayed when I was a little boy, um, (laughs) I'd be in so much trouble right now. But God in his grace doesn't. Lastly, it brings great peace to God's children. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us that if we're anxious for nothing and we pour out the prayer to him, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. God's peace rushes into the situation. Beloved, just think about it. How many times have you, have you heard news or, or something happened in your life or in your marriage or in the life of your kids, grandkids, and as soon as you heard it, it felt like the ground beneath your feet just moved. And in the midst of that, you find yourself in prayer finding peace that you don't even understand where it came from. I have been there in the presence of, literally, a a person passes, they're there in the room, and there's the loved ones, and these are believers, and you pray with them, and you can see a transformation of the peace of God rushing to the situation. It's unbelievable how prayer can calm a situation. Unbelievable to me how quickly prayer can calm down a situation. And why, are we, why is Dan surprised? I shouldn't be surprised by that. Because the Lord says the peace of God will come in and it'll even surpass my own understanding of the situation. When should prayer take place? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, if you turn there with me, just a short little blip, um, on, blip on the screen, but uh, nonetheless, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll read 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When do we pray? Better question, when don't we pray? (laughs) Living in constant, unbroken fellowship with the living God. I don't remember what, which preacher said it, but some preacher said at one point, he said, at times we pray in the midst of ministry. Jesus did ministry in the midst of prayer. And his point being, Christ was living in an unbroken communication with the living God. Don't tarnish it. Don't, I'm going to walk in this communion with the living God. Now, it doesn't mean your eyes are closed and your head's bowed. It makes it very tricky on a motorcycle. What, you, what it means is you are conscious of his presence. The Lord is in my presence. I'm in his presence. And so I can talk to him. I can open my heart to him. When it feels like there's nobody else on the planet that will listen to me, I have the sovereign one. But also say, there are particular times where I think the Spirit leads in prayer. I have been there, and this is experiential, but I also see it in the text of Scripture in numerous instances where prayer seemed to be led by the Spirit of God for a specific purpose in that moment, and God did marvelous things through that. So, pray without ceasing, of course, at the same time. Martin Lloyd-Jones said a lot of years ago, he said, 
When you feel and sense the Spirit of God giving you freedom in prayer, halt everything and go to work. Halt everything and take time when, when it seems that there is a particular power and energy and joy in the time of prayer, stop and give yourself to it. Okay, worship, adoration, supplication, and simply conversation with the Lord. Let's look at the prayer itself. Begins with our Father. Well, first Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. On what basis can anybody call God his Father? Now, it's interesting, Link, how you brought that, that text out that nobody can snatch us from his hand, and that concept of all of his care over us. I was thinking about this point of the message. <clears throat> I was thinking about what you said too, brother, but I was thinking specifically about this this point in the message. On what basis can anybody call God their father? This is where it's tricky because at times when you chat with folks, maybe more of the liberal perspective in evangelicalism or, or even in the unsaved spiritual religious soup of this world, at times people will make reference to the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And they'll re- make reference to God as father. Well, he's all our father, right? He's all of our father. Well, let's see if that holds water with the Word of God. Let me just warn you, it doesn't at all. Um, But in a sense, we could say God is certainly the creator of it all. God's the one who created all things. He's the one in charge of all things. His stamp is on all things. I believe that. But beloved, can I remind you of a doctrine that doesn't get a whole lot of press often? You've been adopted. And the whole world has not been adopted. If you're in Christ, you are adopted, and this world is not adopted. The strongest biblical answer is that one can come to God in prayer with he as their father through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Let me show you a few Bible verses. Um, We'll do a couple sword drills here. Romans 5, 1 and 2, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. On what basis can I come to him and say, Father? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That access is by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 4. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, if you would. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, 
father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. I'm spending time looking these up because it's too important that we recognize this adoption. Why on earth can I go to him and call him father? And why can I be called his son? 2 Timothy, did I say 2nd? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, last one, and maybe the most potent one, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, pray tell, who are the righteous whose God's ears are open to? Everyone and anyone who is righteous in Jesus Christ is the righteous who his ears are open to. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? At times, people who have nothing to do with the Lord, nothing to do with his word, nothing to do with religion whatsoever will say, our thoughts and prayers will be with you. And my question is, on what basis do you think your prayer comes to the Father? Because you simply prayed it? There's no need for righteousness. There's no need for for adoption. There's no need for any of that to take place in order for your prayer to come before the Father. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. Therefore, this is a prayer that is a model for those who are in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Notice this, please, in the text. I find it very interesting, you guys, that it doesn't say, pray then like this. When you pray, say, my Father who is in heaven. Rather, our Father who is in heaven. Don't want to make too big of a deal about it, but just simply the fact that when the Lord calls us to himself, when we are born again, he brings us into the body of Christ. He is our Father. He's my Father, and if you are in Christ, he's your Father. I found it very fascinating listening to a Jewish man this week, this is on YouTube somewhere, and he was saying, this isn't a New Testament prayer, this is a Jewish prayer because there's no mention of Jesus in the prayer. And the simple question is, how do we call him our Father? Not only that, how on earth does he forgive us our sin? Now, this is very much a Christian prayer. This very much is a Christ-honoring prayer. When we come to him as Father through Christ, we join a family of believers. He is the Father of all true Christians. Take a sidestep here for just a sec. And this may not be needed. I don't know. But that's up to the Spirit of God. What I've seen at times over the years of ministry is anytime you speak of fatherhood of the Lord over his people, at times I have seen believers, sometimes subconsciously, attach the character of their earthly dad to Almighty God. And this concept of Father, they just can't go there. 
I want to tell you, beloved, that on, on the authority of the word, if you are in Christ, your Father, the living God, we need to go to the scripture to find out who he is, not look to who your earthly dad was. Now, I, I recognize you guys that when I hear dad, I, my heart warms. He's my hero. He's just a man that I adore. But there are people perhaps in this room, when you hear dad, that is one of the ugliest words you could hear. When you hear father and you hear our father, it's like sandpaper. Just, ah, not that guy. I ask of you to plead with the living God that he would give you a fresh understanding of what your true heavenly father is like and free you from the terrible bondage of taking what maybe that man in your life who was not a good man and attaching that to the living God. Be so careful. Be so careful. Let the word tell you what he's like, not our experience with a fallen human being. Well, secondly, our Father who is where? What's the text say? Our Father in? In heaven. So why is that there? I I scratched my head a little bit, did some reading, some thinking about this. I'm convinced that the reason it's there is it is reminding us who this one is. So we talk about Father and we hear intimacy, we hear closeness, we hear a a tight-knit relationship with Him. And yes, that is a beautiful thing, but don't ever forget that he's your father. Yes, but he also happens to be God. He also happens to be the sovereign of the universe who knows all things and is in control of all things. He happens to be the judge, jury, and executioner of all those who are outside of Christ. He is the one who is supreme. And so, at times in Christianity, it gets a little silly when we get into some of this and we make it... At times it bothers me because it's like an over-familiarity with him and we mistreat him without the reverence due his name. There's actually an interesting thing happening in younger believers right now who are getting more of a distaste for some of that, some of that older, silly treatment of God as he's my daddy, so on and so forth, and they're wanting to go find reverence somewhere. I have good friends who are wrestling with it. They're saying, is there any group of people, Christians, who still revere him? And so there's two sides to this coin. Yes, familiarity. Yes, he's my father. Yes, I, I, I commune with him daily. But don't forget who you speak to. This is an awesome, sovereign king who adopted you. And so I don't think, I'm convinced, guys, that this familiarity and this reverence, they are not at odds with each other. They go together beautifully. It's not that we have to treat him low to have intimacy with him. No, 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 no. You can treat him high for who he is with all the reverence and all the glory to his name. Simultaneously, he is the one that loves you. He is the one you pray to. He is the one that you pour your heart out to. He is our Father who is in heaven. Yes, yes, he is absolutely right beside me. But I wish to be on my face in front of him. And if you're jotting down notes, just for time's sake, Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 10, reminds us afresh of who this God is. Our intimacy does not remove our reverence. It should never remove our reverence. We should never forget who it is that we love and who we're speaking to. We must continually remember that we are going to our Father, who is also the absolute 
supreme king, which should produce deep, affectionate love for God that is balanced by a deep, serious reverence for him all at the same time. I think that can happen. I really think that can happen in our lives as Christians. We can have a close, living, breathing, intimate relationship with the living God and simultaneously recognize the incredible vastness and our lowliness before him. Christianity, unfortunately, has split over that in a lot of ways. Whether It's like a false dichotomy that they want to give to you, that either you have to be silly and overly familiar, or you have to be reverential and dusty and boring. That is not true. That is not true in the least. Prayer is usually a neglected aspect of the Christian life. As awkward as it may seem, I want to pose a question to you. I want to ask you this question. Do you like to pray? Don't answer, just consider it with me. Is it something you look forward to, or is it something that you work at? And I'm not judging you one way or the other. I'm just asking you a question. Questions are great. They lead to a better understanding. Do you like to pray? Do you find yourself going to prayer with joy or with begrudgment? Do you find yourself at prayer when there's something else that you could be doing? Do you find far more of a strong pull towards that than to commune with the Lord? Just some questions for your consideration to think this through. My prayer is that this study would spark us. It would spark us all to a new level of joy in our times of intimate prayer to our Father. I heard somebody say a number of months ago, if we all found ourselves in continual, secret, devoted prayer, how much of our stress, anxiety, and difficulties would be smoothed over? It's interesting. We go to people and say, I have such a huge problem. I have a dear friend that I went to Bible college with, and <clears throat> one of our ways of picking on the other was we would always ask the other person, well, did you pray about it? It was kind of our way of telling them, I don't want to hear you right now. <laughs> but as we came to each other, we'd say, well, did you pray about it? Well, did you pray about it? But beloved, I really got to ask that question. When we come and we find ourselves overwhelmed and discouraged and struggling, and we go, I just don't know what to do. Did you pray? And I'm not just playing spiritual games. I'm saying, did you pray? Have you gone to him with it? Have you poured your heart out to him with it? Because there he is. Why is prayer our last resort so much of the time? I don't know the answer to that question except for the brute fact that I don't trust him as much as I thought I did. Consider this for a sec. Say Amber and I are going to uh, Spokane. And we're going to drive eight hours, and the kids aren't with us, so it's seven. (laughs) And we're going to Spokane, and right before we leave, I say, honey, I hope you enjoy the trip. Seven hours later, I'm glad you're with me. And for seven hours, dead silence between my wife and I. How would you rate our relationship? And yet, how often do we get in the car and say, Lord, thank you for today, be with me, and then not a word till the next day? How would you rate that relationship with the living God who loves your prayers, whose demeanor, he smiles at your prayers? He is present. We have an omnipresent king 
who has adopted us through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that we are fully dependent upon. And how much time has he ignored? It's not too strong of a word to say, I I feel shame for how little of him is invited into my day. So here we are. Really, it's me coming before the living God on behalf of my heart and this church that I love saying, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Teach me how to pray. And perhaps we will see the priority, the power, and the privilege of prayer. One of the greatest ways that we honor God as God is the power and the continuation of our prayer life. So, I want to close with reading this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and then I will close in prayer. Lloyd-Jones says, That is the way to pray, says Christ. Take these two things together. Never separate these two truths. Remember that you are approaching the almighty, eternal, ever-blessed, holy God. But remember also that God in Christ has become your Father, who not only knows all about you in the sense that He is omniscient, He knows all about you also in the sense that a father knows all about his child. He knows what is good for the child. Put these two things together. God in His almightiness is looking at you with a holy love and knows you very well and knows your every need. He hears your every sigh and loves you with an everlasting love. He desires nothing so much as your blessing, your happiness, your joy, and your prosperity. Spiritually speaking, by the way, please don't miss that. Then remember this, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. As your Father which is in heaven, he is much more anxious to bless you than you are to be blessed. There's also no limit to his almighty power. He can bless you with the blessing of heaven. He has put them all in Christ and put you into Christ so your life can be enriched with all the glory and riches of the grace of God himself. I want my prayer life to be transformed. And... It's just in the preacher's heart. I, I want you to be here doing it with me. So we'll see what the Lord accomplishes in our midst in the weeks to come. Let's, let's pray. I want to pray for these first responders too as they're responding. Father, my Father, our Father, who's in heaven, the sovereign God, oh Lord, please help my my reflex to be prayer to the circumstances and situations that this world is throwing. God, I pray that I would be a man who lives daily in light of the fact that you are right there with me. You are in this room, in the midst of this message, Lord God. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to be a people of prayer. Lord, that the depths of our walk with you in secret would be where we pour our greatest enthusiasm. 
God, I pray that above all, PCBC would be blessed with a deeper love, affection, and relationship with the Son of God. For Lord, you are the strength of this place. It is not in us elders, it is not in the deacons, it is not in our finances, it is not in this building, it's not in the government, it's not in the body. Lord, the strength of this batch of people is Jesus. So dear God, help us to cling so close to him. And Lord, I pray for those first responders who are rushing to somebody's rescue who's scared and in need. And I just pray that you would give them sound wisdom and the knowledge they need to truly be of assistance, God. Lord, thank you for PCBC. Thank you for bringing us home. And um, I ask this in Jesus' name.